We're reading from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. How you guys doing? Good. Good. I'm just curious. Who, who was with us at Noyo last year? Who's stoked we're going back? <laughs> uh, and who's not as much? I'm just, <laughs> that's honest. It was a rough, I mean, I, we love camping. We love, and uh, it was rough. That rain was rough. The road was rough. We are hopeful that a few months later into the summer, it will be even better. So we'll see. We'll give it another shot and, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys can join us. Okay, we are a little different tonight, a little um, kind of not a pause, but a pause from where we've been going. We've been marching our way through the book of Acts, and we finished chapter 2 last week. Nikolai finished up chapter 2. And several weeks ago when we opened chapter 2, I said that I wasn't going to talk much about tongues, that we'd come back to the subject. You guys remember that? Well, as promised, tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do just that. I'm curious, when we say, when we talk about tongues, or we read that passage, how many of you guys, like, <laughs> your, like, knee-jerk reaction is a little bit squirmy? It's a little bit uncomfortable. Anybody? Honest? Okay, yeah. That's fair. Totally fair. Um, as we jump into this tonight, I want to go back. We just read that passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians. I want to go back. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read a bunch of scripture tonight. So anytime, uh, this is just good practice, anytime I come to a passage or a topic or, or something that feels like there's debate and there's question and, and I have to wrestle with it, it's really, really good practice to just sit through and go look at all the different passages we have that deal with this topic. That's a really helpful process to do. Do a little quick survey of uh, the given topic. So tonight we're going to do that. There's going to be a lot of scripture. You guys have your Bibles? There's going to be, most of them will be on the screens, but some will not. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Starting back in verse 1, it's going to be familiar. And I'll skip around here a little bit. 
as we read through. Starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated, seating. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them, uh, hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we, hear, that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, and there's a whole list of names. We're going to jump down to verse 11. <clears throat> Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, they are filled with new wine. I said when we covered this a few weeks ago, that from time to time throughout church history, God has done these sorts of things. He has shown up and done miraculous things. He breaks in from time to time and just does things that have to. we have to like step back and be a little perplexed with. Honestly, the, the timing of all of this, of us studying this, is kind of remarkable. Have you guys heard of what happened with Asbury College? Anybody? Yeah? <clears throat> um, Asbury College Seminary uh, in Kentucky uh, was experiencing some renewal, and that ended a few days ago, actually. But um, pretty remarkable stuff happening. And then how many of you guys saw the Jesus Revolution movie? You guys joined us. We had a bunch of free tickets. So if you wanted to see it, you, you could have saw it for free. <laughs> uh, from time to time, and this is one of the beautiful things about seeing that story and remembering sort of that story of the Jesus people movement and sort of the awakening that came out of that. From time to time, God does this. He shows up. We call it different things, renewal, revival, awakening. There's these different ways of discussing it. But the point is, this is how things have always gone. You can look throughout church history, and from time to time, typically when the church is in a dark state or a state of decline and declension, the Lord shows up, and he does something. He, he responds, <clears throat> usually to some form of united prayer, some form of, of seeking him, and he comes in a fresh way. And unfortunately, I said this a couple weeks ago, this passage uh, there in Acts 2 often gets looked at almost exclusively for, the, for tongues. And I don't think that's even the point of the passage. But we're going to use that tonight as just a because it's, it's, a, it's a pretty common thing to sit there and look at that, we're going to explore from there uh, this topic, this idea of tongues, this gift. Okay? You guys okay? All right. God was doing something extraordinary in this new Jesus 
community, this, this community of disciples. He was forming a new family. He was launching this community of disciples to be missionaries uh, in Judea and Jerusalem and, Jude- yeah, and to the ends of the earth. He is sending them out. This event, Pentecost, was revolutionary. It's a, up until this moment, the Holy Spirit had come upon individuals for certain tasks. Prophets, priests, kings were anointed, and the Holy Spirit was on them. And we know that we see that the way Peter responds, Joel prophesied that the sons and daughters, young and old, everybody, men and women, would receive this gift. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, the whole group, not just a select few. This whole thing was monumental. It, it, it began as sort of the, the uh, launching point for the rest of what we're going to look at as the church develops the rest of this book of Acts. Remember the language that Luke uses in the way he's describing how people responded. I just pointed this out a few weeks ago. He, bewildered, amazed, astonished, amazed again, perplexed. Those words, Luke's like searching for words, trying to describe the response of the people at what God was doing. And every word he can come, he can come up with here, it drives home the point. This is something that was incredible. We would, my modern way of saying this would probably be this is mind-blowing. This is incredible what is happening. What God had begun to do and what God would continue to do through the church and through the church age was incredible, amazing, astonishing, perplexing. Those observing had two options. This is all review. They had two options at how they responded here. They were, this is verse 12, uh, 12. They were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said they're filled with new wine. They're only drunk. Mocked and ridiculed. We have these same two options. These same two options are in front of us anytime God breaks in and does something extraordinary. I think as we look at tongues, we look at the gifts of the Spirit, as we, we're going to do a little survey here through Acts, uh, these are the same two options that are in front of us. And that's my challenge for us tonight. You have these options. We either prayerfully consider and we lean into the Lord, we ask genuinely, what does this mean? We lean into him, God, what are you doing? Or we mock and reject all of it. And honestly, in my, my opinion, both extremes on this subject, I think they fall under the mocking category. I think those who fall in sort of a gross excess, misuse of tongues and the gifts, emotionalism, experience, leaning, I think that's also mocking what God is doing. I think both sides of the extremes are mocking. That's my opinion. So with that background, guys, we're going to look, we're going to talk about tongues. 
In the book of Acts, you'd probably be surprised to know, there are, there are only three instances, only three, where tongues is even mentioned. Safe to assume, I have to assume that that's, it's not the only three times tongues happened, but there's only three times where Luke felt that it was necessarily important to include in the narrative arc of his story. Three times. We're going to look at these. So Acts 2, we just looked at. Acts 10 and Acts 19. If you want to turn to Acts 10. Acts 10 is an incredibly important chapter. Next to Pentecost, it's possibly, it's up there. They're all really important. I could probably say that about every chapter. Acts 10 is the beginning, so to speak, of the expansion of the gospel and the mission to the Gentiles. Peter, he's sent to go and meet this God-fearing centurion uh, named Cornelius. And they're traveling to meet him, and Peter has a vision. Actually says he falls into a trance. And he sees the heavens opened, and, and there's this incredible language here. And he sees this sheet. You guys know the story? Sheet coming down from heaven. And the Lord telling him, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Even animals that you think are unclean. You guys remember the story? Yeah. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again, again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, I just loved the, the reuse of that language, inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, a man who was sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon, of Simon, or for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, again, that language, pondering, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes. He joins them, and he meets Cornelius. And he presents and proclaims the good news of the gospel. Without the sort of religious blockage and, and baggage that he, he had previously. He says, he says this, which is it's incredibly important. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. 
Jump down to verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, in the middle of, of him still presenting the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. This story is often sort of described as like a second Pentecost almost. This is the Pentecost for the Gentiles. So if that's true, it would make perfect sense that the same sort of scenario that we saw at Pentecost would happen here. Just like what happened in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls here on these Gentiles, and the response that happens is very similar. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They extol God. Notice a slight difference, though, just as we're doing a little survey here, a little Bible study. There's no mention of what other languages they're speaking here, only that they're extolling God. It's just an interesting thing to point out. Let's go to Acts 19. Is it okay, a little Bible study? That's all right. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. This is the third and the last mention of tongues in the book of Acts. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Ephesus is a pretty important place, right? There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. This group of disciples of John the Baptist, they meet Paul in Ephesus. They had apparently only heard part of the story. They only had part of the story. They were baptized into John's baptism for repentance, and they were awaiting, apparently, the, the coming Messiah. It's interesting to me that they said they had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. It's a statement that should make you kind of scratch your head, because it was John the Baptist, remember in Luke 3, who said, he said this, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Not to mention the many, many Old Testament examples of the Holy Spirit. I think the point here is that, the, not that they'd never heard of that there is a Holy Spirit, but that they didn't know about what happened at Pentecost. They didn't know about this infilling of the Spirit that, that, uh, that took place. They were unaware. And so Paul baptizes them into the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit fills them. And they speak spoke in tongues, and prophesied. few things just to notice in these three examples. In Acts 2, what they hear, what the people hear, was them, this is them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. In Acts 10, they hear them speaking in tongues and extolling God. In 19, they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. In all three of these examples, these ones who are full of the Spirit, they're proclaiming the mighty works of God. They're prophesying or they're extolling God. This, this is worship language. This is a, the response is to glorify Jesus, to worship him. All three of these are described as the Holy Spirit either falling on or filling the people. The language here is really important because in the rest of the New Testament, and really all through Acts, this is the language that they're f full of the Spirit or in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You, you can do a little survey. Just walk through the New Testament. That, that language is used over and over. I think that's important because the experience of being filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit or in the Spirit, depending on where it's referenced. It's not a singular moment at the moment of salvation. It seems to me from that that there are multiple fillings with the Spirit. Now, as we were discussing this Thursday night, we were, we were uh, elder meeting, we were discussing this talking about what, it, what, that, what does that look like to be filled with the Spirit over and over. Nikolai brought up this passage in Zechariah that I just all week since then I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's really good. So let's read it together. Lots of scripture tonight. Zechariah chapter 4. I think it'll be on the screens. Yep. I'm just going to read this whole thing. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one to the right of the bowl and the other to its left. And I said to the angel who talked to me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked to me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
Who are you, O, gr o great mountain before, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel I have laid the foundation of this house. His house shall also complete it. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the days of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Let's jump down to verse 12. He's still, he's still questioning, what, what is going on with these trees? What's with these olive trees? Verse 12. And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees? which are besides, these, besides the two golden pipes from which the golden oil, sorry, from which the golden oil is poured out. I think this is a really good picture, actually, of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and then that language that's played through in the rest of the New Testament. These lampstands are to be continually lit and, and, and burning before the Lord, continually filled with oil, and in order to keep them burning, they need oil. Oil is a very, it's commonly used as an analogy, a way of talking about the Holy Spirit. And this is the gospel, guys. This is good news. We don't just get filled once. You get the whole olive tree. You don't just get filled up once and then it's done. You have access to the whole tree perpetually filling you, keeping you burning. Because the reality is, is that we burn, we, we serve, we, we, we worship, we, we do the things that we have to do, and we're perpetually needing to be refilled. You get the whole tree. Spirit's often described as oil. I think this picture uh, is really good for what it means to be sort of baptized in the Spirit, full of the Spirit. As a Christian, we are full of the Spirit. The promise is you have everything you need for life and godliness. You have it all. He has fully equipped you. He's with you. He's in you. And he wants to work amongst you. He wants to work out through you. You guys know the beautiful thing? Your kids, they don't get a junior Holy Spirit. They have the same Holy Spirit. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the, the very God who spoke all things into existence, he's in you, empowering you, equipping you, enabling you to do what he is leading you to do. I think... The thing is, is that we, we don't even think about it. We live as if he's distant and absent, and he's left us alone, or that he's uninvolved. It's the beautiful thing, I think, about looking through the New Testament. It should bring this to, to our awareness. And I think these three examples that we have in Acts they're beautiful, but I think they leave a lot of questions unanswered.
until we get to Paul. So let's look at the passage that we read tonight, that Mary read. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Doing all right? When people, I lost my spot here. When people ask me my position on spiritual gifts, they ask me my position on tongues, um, I will usually respond that I'm with Paul, not camped with one of the main theological (laughs) positions or denominational biases. And here's why. Let's look at what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just going to go kind of rapid fire through some of these passages, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you should prophesy. Verse 5. I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in an order. Paul's position. Earnestly desire, guys, is very strong language. I know it seems kind of casual as you're reading it, but earnestly desire is the same word structure in the Greek that's used to describe lustful desire. Earnestly desire, be zealous for, jealous for, like long for spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. He says that he wants everyone to speak in tongues. This is really, really important for my hyper-charismatic Pentecostal friends, because the point here, I think, is that not everyone does. For Paul to say that I want everyone to speak in tongues implies by definition that not everybody does, and that's okay. And yet, Paul thinks that it would be better if everyone did. Okay. He says that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. And then again, he says, earnestly desire prophecy, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Yet, clearly, he prefers prophecy over tongues. I mean, if you read this chapter, and you should read it, read 1 Corinthians probably 11 through 15. It'd be good to just get, get the full scope. He prefers prophecy over tongues, and he definitely wants everything to be done in order, in an orderly fashion. Uh, But that does not mean never at all, right? To be done in order doesn't mean never. Paul lists in multiple places spiritual gifts. And I actually don't think that Paul's lists necessarily are intended to be exhaustive because he, in his multiple lists where he talks about spiritual gifts, there's a ton of crossover. But just of the ones that he mentions, prophecy, discerning of spirits, words of wisdom, teaching, words of knowledge, exhorting, miracles, healing, serving, helps, leading, administration, tongues, interpreting tongues, giving, faith, mercy. That's a pretty big list. 
Some of those things seem completely outlandish for us today. Others are completely in our wheelhouse. And we practice regularly. The thing is, these are all gifts. These are all uh, graces. It's the same word. It's all grace given from Jesus for us to partner with him on his mission on the earth. These are all gifts that he's given to enable us to partner with him. In our passage tonight, Paul's essentially comparing two of these gifts, prophecy and tongues. Let's look a little closer. Might have to speed up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. Look at how Paul describes tongues in this chapter. No one understands him. He, unders, he utters mysteries. He says they're not intelligible. It says you, it's as if you're speaking to the air. The spirit prays, but the mind is unfruitful. Verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. That's a whole nother sermon, probably, on prophecy. But that's the point of prophecy. Not foretelling necessarily, or not speaking the future, but upbuilding, encouraging, encouraging, and consolation. Verse 4. The one who speaks in tongues, in contrast, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So here I think we're getting to sort of the meat of this. I think, my opinion, I think there's two expressions of what we call tongues. The first expression is the outworking that you see in Acts 2. And I think Paul's pushing for more of that expression here. There's a language, and then there's an interpretation by the hearer. I think the second description Paul describes here in 13 chapter 1, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, he, he calls it tongues of men and angels. He says here that when you speak in tongues, you speak, or you build yourself up. In verse 2, uh, he says that you, when you speak in a tongue, you speak to God and not man. In verse 14, he says that if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I think this is the sort of, this is the other use case for tongues. This is what Paul describes in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
That's my experience with tongues is more in that camp. It's a normal thing in a, in a private prayer language. And I believe at times, there are times where we don't know what to pray or how to pray or, or what to do with that. And this is, I think, what, the, what this is for. The Spirit helps us pray. And I think there's a distinction to be made between a corporate expression of tongues that happens in a meeting like this, which Paul says very clearly must be interpreted, and sort of this private expression. Paul says that he will pray in the Spirit and also that he will sing in the Spirit. Not just pray, but he'll sing in the Spirit. And he will also pray with his mind, intelligible thoughts, and he will sing with his mind. It's not one or the other for Paul, it's both. Verse 5. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So here's Paul's point. It's good to pray in tongues, what Paul's saying. He wants you to do it because it builds yourself up. There's nothing wrong with building yourself up, edifying yourself. In fact, Jude commands it. Jude uh, verse 20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. It's Paul's point, I think, is that when we're together, when we're in the assembly, the point is not individual edification. The point is not that you yourself is built up. You're plumbed to the olive tree. When we come together, it's about mutual edification. When we're in this group, it's about together being encouraged and exhorted and uplifted in the gospel to go and join him on his mission. That's the point. Edified and uplifted. And prophecy, Paul's saying, is the tool for that. Mutual edification. Tongues. Builds yourself up. I think one of the reasons this is probably a hard concept for us, if I'm being totally honest, is that our entire mentality around church tends to lead towards individual edification anyways. Consumption. For many in the church, it's, it's something, it's a good that we consume individually to be built up by ourselves. Maybe to be encouraged by some good music, an experience of the presence of God and some good emotional feelings, to hear some good teaching and to be challenged personally, encouraged, convicted, to maybe feel like we've fulfilled a commitment that we've made individually. In many ways, that's the way we've set things up. It's about 
individual edification. But the, the biggest takeaway, I think, for us in all of this is that when we're together in this format or even when you're gathered with brothers and sisters around the table or, or at a Bible study, when you're together, we all bring something. We all contribute. This is why he says in verse 26 of chapter 14, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. What would happen if we took Paul seriously? Honestly, guys, what would happen if when you came to this gathering or when you had dinner with other believers, when you ran into them at the cafe or, or, or whatever it is, that you approached that gathering that you have something to bring and to contribute for the mutual edification of the community, not just about filling yourself up and feeling good about yourself. It would be great if the elders had to, like Paul, step in and go, guys, okay, you can't all prophesy. <laughs> you can't all share what God's doing in your life. We have to have some order to this. It would be really cool, <laughs> right, guys, elders, if we had to step in and, sh like, okay, let's bring some order to this. You can't all share what God's doing or what God's showing you in the scriptures. That's really not our situation. But it would be awesome if we got there, to be honest. So what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Like I said earlier, I'm with Paul. I want all of you to speak in tongues. Even more, to prophesy. I thank God that I speak in tongues, but also, nevertheless... I would rather speak five minds, sorry, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct you than 10,000 words in tongues when we're together. Feel that contrast? I want you all to speak in tongues. But when we're together, I'd rather say five intelligible words than 10,000 words in tongues. And yet, what am I to do, Paul says? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Remember the two options that I talked about from chapter 2. Those options are before us in this subject. When God does something and is doing something that is uncomfortable, out of our norm, we have those two options. We can either mock and ridicule, or we can lean in, prayerfully consider, ask what God is doing. Let's not be a community that stands on the outside and mocks. and ridicules what God might be doing.
Those are our options. I think when it comes to whether it's looking at what God did at Asbury or the subject of tongues or prophecy or any of these things that work, guys, the book of Acts gets weird. There's some interesting things that happen in this story. Those are our options. As I was praying, thinking about tonight, I was thinking through Peter's response in Acts 2 was to quote Joel. And before the passage that he references, this is what Joel says. Joel chapter 2. This is sort of my, my prayer today. Joel 2 verse 12 and ongoing. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Rend your heart or tear your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. This is what I was praying this, this morning. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep and say, spare your people. O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. And this is, this is it right here. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Why should they say among the people, where is their God? My prayer for us tonight I think also thinking through Habakkuk 3. Lord, we've heard the report of you. Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God, we've heard of all that you've done. We've read the stories of you pouring out your spirit in remarkable ways. We've heard of the things that were happening at Asbury. We don't fully know. God, but in our day, in our time, do it again. Do it here. Do it amongst us. Do it here. I think especially as we're going through this book, as there's talk of different revival, renewals, we're reading through Acts, this has to be our posture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you that we have unlimited access. That we have the whole tree. God, that, that the Spirit, the same Spirit who hovered over the chaos in the beginning has taken up residency in us and longs to work through us and alongside us wants us to partner with him. 
God, I pray that you would show us, that you would give us even a picture of what that looks like, a glimpse of what it could mean to be filled with your spirit, a glimpse of what it could mean to partner with your spirit, to join you on your mission. God, we've heard of your fame. We've heard of your great deeds. We've heard the stories and the testimonies of all the things that you have done. And we do say, God, do it amongst us. Do it here. Do it in this group, in this fellowship, in this city. You've done it before and you can do it again. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. Even when we're nervous and uncomfortable, you are still trustworthy and good and kind. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.